Good to know you're here with us online and our small regulated crowd that we have in the, uh, in the auditorium here, um, well socially distanced and all of that stuff. Um, it was good to sing, but greatly, greatly missed having the singers. <laughs> so hopefully we get back to that soon. Uh, let's uh, look to the Lord, have a word of prayer. Father, thank you this morning for uh, bringing us to hear your word. Thank you for the time of remembrance we've had earlier this morning. And we look to you uh, for guidance and direction today. And may you teach us uh, from the examples of your word, um, these accounts that have been given for our encouragement and for our strengthening. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless each one, the folks that are online, the folks that are uh, here in the building, and those who may watch after on YouTube. I just pray, Lord that your word will go forth, not my words. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm continuing on a series that I started the last time, probably about a month ago, on the master theme of the Bible. Um, this book by... Um, what should I point to? Can we have the next slide, please? Thanks. A book by J. Sidlow Baxter um, that I... Uh, I'm not allowed to lend, um, but uh, because it's out of print, and it actually, I, I started reading through it again the other day, and it is actually falling apart. Pages are starting to come really loose, so um, if you want to get it, good luck. Um, but it's the master theme of the Bible, and, and the last time we, we looked at it, and, and you're going to see that the Lamb of God runs throughout the Bible, right from, Jeff, from, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Now, I'd hoped to get to the first a point last time, but I just did an introduction, and it was it was uh, I didn't I didn't quite get there. So today I'm going to cover that off really really quickly, and then I'm going to go into another point of uh, what I want to look at today, which is uh, the lamb that was provided. In uh, this account, let's uh, we can read this together. If you have uh, your uh, have a Bible there, um, please look in Genesis chapter four. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 22 is the main text today, but in Genesis chapter four. And I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. It says, Now Adam slept with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. And when the time came, she gave birth to Cain and said, With the Lord's help, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to a second son and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain was a farmer. At harvest time, Cain brought to the Lord a gift of his firm produce, while Abel brought several choice lambs from the best of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. This made Cain very angry and dejected. Why are you so, why are you so angry? The Lord asked him. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you respond in the right way. But if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you. You must subdue it. Later, Cain suggested to his brother Abel, let's go out to the fields. And while they were there, Cain attacked and killed his brother. So here we have the first, the, the first child born on the face of the earth in Cain. We have the first mention, really, of a lamb in the Bible, the 
uh, flock that Abel brought up and, and had. And we have the first real mention of a sacrifice that was given to the Lord, which was the offering of the lamb from the flock of, of Abel. Then we have the first fight in the Bible, the first argument, and then we have the first murder, all in this short little passage. And it's, it's, there's so much packed into this. And I probably could have just taken this and gone with this for a sermon, but, but I, I thought I, I want to go to where we are today, which is on a lamb provided. But this points out a lamb as a requirement. God required a lamb as an acceptable sacrifice. Now, what Cain did was he brought the work of his own hands and he brought it as an offering to God, the things that he did. What Abel did was he brought a lamb which God created, which Abel had nothing to do with, but was provided to him by God and brought that as a sacrifice. So God looked at it and said, Cain, what you're doing is what religious people do. You're trying to pay your way to me by the work of your own hands. You're working your way to make a relationship with me. While Abel came humbly and said, Lord, you've given me this lamb. This is, the, this is the best lamb you've given me. I am going to offer this back to you as a sacrifice. So God looking for a sacrifice is not looking for the work of our own hands. That's religion. God is looking for an offer that comes on his terms. And his terms would be that a lamb would be slain for an offering. Now, in this, the other thing that I noticed, and I didn't realize this until a couple of years ago when I was reading this passage and, and somebody was speaking on it at camp. It says in verse um, eight, uh, 6, it says, Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Uh, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you respond in the right way, but if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. You see, God is a God of second chance. I never realized before. God gave Cain an opportunity to do the right thing here. I always thought, well, Cain did the wrong thing, and then, boom, that was it. God rejected him. But God says, I'm not taking your sacrifice. But here, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do the right thing. And what did he do? Instead, he got angry. He walked away. It reminds me so much of every time God speaks to a sinner, every time God spoke to me, another chance, another chance. Every time I heard the gospel, another chance, another chance. And refused and refused and refused. And got hardened and hardened in my heart. Until finally... I accepted what God was saying. My sin stands between me and God. I need to, as it says here, subdue it, get away from it, repent of it, and turn from it, and turn to God. Instead, Cain didn't do that, and he murdered his brother. So this is a lamb as a requirement, a lamb as the appropriate sacrifice to reach God. Look with me now in uh, Genesis chapter 22. That was my first sermon. Here's the second one. <laughs> in, gen in, in, my, in my cell phone, and I don't know if you can see this online because I probably look like I'm 500 miles away, um, but I have a picture of a boy. 
David Hansen and I were talking about our grandsons the other day. I have a picture of my boy here. And he's got a big smile on his face. He's got a muffin in his hand. And he's just marching along and he's going to devour that muffin. Um, it's it just, it, it's great. It's, it's great. I, 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 it, the picture's old. It, it, he's grown up from that. But I still, ha- that picture brings me much joy when I look at it. And the reason it brings me much joy, it reminds me of love for my grandchildren. It reminds me of how much I love having grandchildren. Uh, if you asked me a week before my grandson was born, hey, you're going to be a grand- grandfather. Are you ready for that? I'd say, no, absolutely not. I'm too young for that. Uh, he was born, and like an hour later, I'm a granddad. And I'm thinking, this is awesome. So, it, it's a, But that picture is a picture to me of my grandson who loves me and I love him. In the scriptures, we have passages that are pictures, pictures that show us of how God loves us. And in, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to 14, if you read that and you think, oh my, that's a terrible, terrible story with a happy ending, but it's actually given to us for a reason. It's given to us to be a picture, to remind us of the love of God towards us and what he has done for us. So Abraham experiences some things in this chapter that are actually a picture of the future of what's going to happen to us at another time. I guess I'm supposed to go there. So in, we have a picture of, a, of in Genesis chapter 2 as a lamb, as a provision, as a lamb, as a sacrifice, and the relationship of God the Father and his Son. And it's one of the most important pictures of faith in all of the scriptures. In fact, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 uh, to 19, you'll read this. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, had, uh, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, though God had promised him, uh, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Verse 19 says, Abraham assumed that if Isaac died, God would bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. That's in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. So Abraham's experience of almost sacrificing his son Isaac points to the father's sacrifice of his son. It's a picture of something that is to come. So I have four points. First of all, and we'll read the passage as we go in these chunks. The preparation, it's in verse 1. The examination, or the test, in verses 1 and 2. The submission, verses 3 to 10. And the anticipation, in verses 11 to 14. So let's go right into the, uh, the, the preparation. So it says in verse 1, it says, after these things. If you read uh, verse 1, I, sorry, I meant to open my Bible to Genesis. I usually put my, uh, my texts right in my, my notes, and I, I missed a couple this time, I, I see. So Genesis chapter 22, and verse 1, it says, Now it came about after these things God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Abraham said, Here am I. And it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. So after what things? What's he talking about? After what things? Well, Abraham uh, had a, a son, his first son, Ishmael, and he had left. He was not the son of Abraham and Sarah. He was not the son of promise. And he had left, and he had moved on. And then Abraham had an altercation with one of the local leaders. This is all what happened. I'm going back to chapter 21. 
And then his son Isaac, the son of promise, was born to Abraham when he was 100 years old and his wife Sarah was 90. And then in verses 21 to 30, uh, 30, 32 to 34, we read that he kind of went through this period of rest. He says, then he made a covenant at Beersheba. Uh, so Abimelech rose with uh, Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. These are the guys that he had the, kind of the confrontation with. Then Abraham planted a, a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called the name called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. So many days could be many years. So here he's got this place of rest where he's, where he's kind of stayed there and he's just having a time of, of, of rest. Well, restful times sometimes are, are a preparation for what's going to come. And what's coming after this is a severe trial, a ferocious trial. Sometimes God gives us the opportunity to just kind of get our souls rested and then all of a sudden a storm is coming in your life. This is the biggest storm, I'm sure, for Abraham at this point in time. There's a Yiddish proverb that says, God sends burdens, but he also sends shoulders to bear those burdens, which is a, I thought it was a pretty good proverb. In fact, last night on ESL, we had a little time talking about different proverbs, whether they're English language proverbs that we use or proverbs from the scriptures. And talk about what they mean. But it says God sends burdens, but he also sends shoulders to bear those burdens. Sometimes that's my own shoulders. He's given me a rest so that, okay, because what's coming? You're going to need to be resting. You're going to need to be refreshed in the word of God. You're going to need to be ready for this. Sometimes, oftentimes, many times, most times, he sends other shoulders to help me. I I was watching... um, it was a funeral of someone in the, I can't remember now who it was. It was, it was a, a British military person. And the soldiers, the pallbearers were carrying the casket, the burden, the heavy burden to the grave. And they, it was different. We do it here, handles on the thing, and we do this up to the grave and you know, try, to, try to make it. They had their arms on each other's shoulders. One soldier, arm on the shoulder of another. The, this guy's arm on this shoulder, six of them, like this, three and three, and the casket resting on their shoulders as they went along. So, sorry, I thought I said something strange. No, okay. So, so they're going along with these, these six men carrying this heavy burden on their shoulders. And sometimes I think the Lord might put a burden on us, but that was a great picture to me. I thought, my brothers and my sisters come alongside, whether it's prayer or just helping me or just encouraging me or a phone call or a text or messenger or a Snapchat, whatever it might be, just to encourage me, just a shoulder to help me lift my burden and my load. So here's Abraham, he's had his rest and now he's got this big thing coming. Do you ever fear what might come into your life? Do you ever think about that? I probably didn't that much when I was young, but I mean now... I spend more time, I think, job searching than I've ever wanted to do in my life. I spend more time at doctor's office, hospitals, and emergency rooms, and and all of these other things than I ever probably thought I would ever do. I spend more time thinking about, you know, will this money run out before I die, or will, you know, will, you know, Will this happen? Will that happen? Will coronavirus get me? Will, what's going to happen? You start thinking about these things. 
and you start thinking, well, what will God perhaps allow into your life? But you see, what you're going to face tomorrow, you need to prepare for today. You need to be prepared today for what you might face tomorrow. You don't know what you're facing tomorrow. I don't know what I'm facing tomorrow. But today is when I need to prepare. When God is giving me rest, when God is giving me a time of refreshment, God will send hardships, but he will also bless you. And I have a, there's a, there's a little illustration of how God does this. And uh, this is a story about a, um, a, a, little, a little plant. I should be advancing my slides a little faster, I think. So here's this little plant, and it's living under the, under the shade of a, of a large oak tree. And the small plant was kind of small, runty, and stunted in its growth, and under this behemoth of an oak tree, this big shady tree. And the little plant just loved being there. All the stability and the strength. It doesn't even get much of the rain and snow falling on it because the oak tree takes care of all of that stuff. And it's all good. And then one day, the woodsman comes along with the forest and he brings an axe and a chainsaw and he starts chopping down that tree. And the little plant is going, no, 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 he cries out. And the woodsman is there and he hears it and he says, what's wrong with you? Now you've got to imagine here, the plants talk, okay? So the plant says, all my protection is gone, all my, all my strength is gone, I have no shelter. When the winds blow and howl, I'm going to be uprooted and I'm going to be destroyed and I'm going to be ruined. Well, the axeman heard the plant and said all this, and he said, no, no, no. He says, now, here's what's going to happen. The sun is going to shine directly on you. The nutrients that that big tree used to suck out of the soil are now going to be your nutrients. You're going to be fed from the soil. You're going to be fed by the sun. You're going to have all of these things, and you know what? You're going to develop strength that you didn't know you had. And you will be a tough, strong plant. And when the big winds and the storms come, you will stand against those. I thought it was a pretty good illustration. Because it says that God works these things in our lives for our good. Well, it might not feel good. It doesn't feel good to be out of work. It just doesn't. There's days you get up and you say, why? And then there's days that you get up and you say, okay, I've got something to do. Or there's days you get up and you think, okay, windows can be washed, whatever. It's just weird. It just doesn't feel great. But the scriptures, and I've gone back to this verse so many times in the last seven months. It says, what shall we say then? This, this Romans chapter 8. This is part of it. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see... I can rest in the confidence that no matter what I'm going through, God is my Father, God is for me, and God is giving me what I need. He will provide. Look, he, he provided the ultimate for me. He gave his son for my greatest need. Will he not look after other needs? Will he not look? I mean, what, what's... what's What's a new car what, or, you know, or, or a proper car or, or what's a job or what, what are all of these things to God? Are they too hard for him? He provided you with eternal life. He provided you with a way to be his son or his daughter, his child. So if you're a child of God, he has provided ultimately the greatest thing he ever could have done for you. So it's not too hard for him to, to provide in these, in these smaller things. So the next thing 
that we look at is the examination, the test. This is the, this is the interesting part. Look with me, please, in Genesis 22, uh, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him here as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. What? Take your son, your only son, who you love. Go up this mountain and, you know, he didn't say smother him, make it painless, make it just, you know. He said, no, put him on an altar. Kill him and offer him as a burnt offering. Okay. Now, it doesn't tell you anything about his emotions. It doesn't say anything at all about what he, what he felt or said or anything else. It's, it's just like, wow. What in the world is this? Well, the word here is nasha, nasa, N-A-S-A-H. So think of the guys who put rockets up, used to put rockets up, with an H on it. It's now SpaceX that puts the rockets up. So. But think of, think of NASA with an H. That's the word. And it's test. In, in the old uh, King James, it might say tempt. It's not the proper rendering of the word. The word is actually for test. It says, um, the, the word NASA means to prove the worth or quality of something. To prove the worth or the quality of something. You see, Hebrew, in, uh, James, rather, chapter 1, verse 13, it tells me that God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt you. He doesn't hang something in front of you to see if you'll go for it and sin. You know, see, you know, somebody else who does that for you. That's what the devil does. That's his work. The devil is the tempter. God does not. God tests you. The devil doesn't test you. The devil tempts you. The devil tries to bring out the worst of you. But God tests you to try to bring out the best in you. That's the difference between a testing and a temptation. Sometimes, though, when you're thinking about it, okay, this is going on in my life. Is this God testing me? Or is this the devil tempting me? I don't know. I can't tell the difference. Mm, that's valid. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes it's hard to tell. Is it an attack from the devil? Is it a test from God? You know what? Maybe it is either one. Maybe it's both. Don't know. So what do you do when that happens? What do you do? Well, when you get to that point, you trust in God. You trust in his sovereign control. Genesis, uh, or in, in this um, same book, a great example of this is the life of Joseph. Joseph, taken by his brothers, put in a pit, sold to passing Midianites, finds himself now in Egypt, finds himself in Egypt as a slave in Potiphar's house. He had a good position, but he was still a slave. He was still an outsider. He was still away from his family, away from his father, away from his home. Then he was falsely accused by his master's wife. Goes to jail. He's got a couple of roommates in jail. You know what? Joseph will remember you. No problem. As soon as we get out, we'll get this fixed for you. Well, they forgot him. So for years, he's stuck in jail. He's just stuck there. 
Then he gets out. Then there's a famine. And then his brothers, who had already taken him and thrown him in the, in the pit, who had lied to the father and said he's dead, and who had sold him as a slave to Midianites, they show up looking for food because they're hungry. They don't know who it is. So here's his chance. Ugh, these brothers, these are the guys. What does he do? He goes off and he cries and he comes back and he, he provides for them. Tells them, go bring more back, bring family back. And then it gets to this point that they're standing in front of him and he says, brothers, I just want you to know while you meant all of this for evil, the devil used you to bring about evil. However, God meant this for good. Why did he have that thought? Why did he say that? The reason he said that is because he kept close to God. He trusted in God. When, when, when things like got off the rails, he got closer to God. You see, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says, for we know that God works most things together for the good. No, Fuller says no. He works some things together. Nah, nah. He says all things, all things together for the good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. You see, if you want to know how valuable your faith is, go through a test. If everything is great in your life, you don't have any grief, you don't have any problems your faith isn't being tested at all. But go through something and it tests your faith. It's easy when things are good. Easy when things are great. Now here's my lame illustration of that. I just heard the gun in Halifax telling me that I'm halfway through. So, so when things are... I've, I've done a few weddings. Not many, but a few. And you go through some form of vows in some form of agreement between the husband and wife. And it's usually the words for richer or for poorer, for in sickness and in health, and for better or for worse are in there somewhere. And do you know what they hear? Do you know what the smiling husband says who's like, whoa, what's going on? And the wife who's saying, uh, the, the soon-to-be wife who just said, oh, all this stuff that I've done for months and months and months now comes down to this one moment, and wow. You know what they hear? Better, richer, health. They don't hear poorer, worse, and sickness. That never comes up on the wedding day. It's always the good things they're thinking about. But I guess what? Down the road, poorer, <laughs> sickness, and worse comes up. First fight is always the worst one of your life. Someday somebody's going to lose a job and you're going to feel, okay, I'm in poverty now. Or you may just end up saying, I, I, I'm, we're going to live on love. That lasts for about, that lasts until you get home from your honeymoon. And then somebody's going to get sick. And I remember, I think it was Dobson put up this thing about how it started off, oh, honey, can I get you Kleenex, you know, your sniffles and so on. And how it progresses and degrades down into the point. Would you please stop that incessant coughing? Driving me crazy. How am I going to sleep? How can I watch my TV program when you're doing that? So it'll degrade to that at some point. So, but everybody's thinking, you know, everything is good. Everything is easy. It's all great. It doesn't stay there. So those are the things that test your marriage. The things that test your faith are when things don't go the way you planned in your life. The real test in this was who does Abraham love the most? See, Abraham 
I'm sure Abraham had a rough life. It wasn't easy. He, he's called by God to leave the home of his father to travel through. What's your name? Somebody say, hey, how are you? Nice to see you. You're new to the land. Yeah. What's your name? Abram. Oh, okay. Exalted father. Uh, how many kids you got? Uh, none. Uh, what's your name again? Abram. Google dictionary. Abram. Exalted father. How many kids? None. <laughs> okay. See ya. And then a little later on, God says, oh yeah, you know what? I'm going to change your name. It's not going to be Abram anymore. And he goes, oh, thank goodness. It's like Mary said. I, I'm glad I don't have to live with McDonald anymore because it's so common. Yeah, I said, you wait until you have to tell everybody it's H-A-N-S-E-N, not O-N. So he goes along and he thinks, oh, great. No longer do I have that name, Abram. God's going to change it for me. It's going to be something other than exalted father. I have no kids. Okay, it's going to be Abraham. Abraham, Abraham. Google Dictionary. Uh, God, that's a mistake. That means father of a multitude. I have none. Yeah, yeah, that, that's going to be your name. So you imagine the perplexing thoughts in Abraham's mind as he's going along. He's tested right from the beginning. Leave your father's home. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I have no kids. How am I going to bless? How, how is my seed going to be greater than the sand, shores of the sand, or the sand of the shores and the stars of the heavens? How is that going to be? I have no kids. God, are you, are you just playing with me? He was, was being tested all along. And God blessed him through all of these things. And in this particular case, it's a case of God's going to test you to see who do you love the most. Do you love me even more than now that you have a son? Do you love me more than him? Do you love me more than being a father? He did. J.C. Ryle said, a religion which costs nothing is worth nothing. So if we have faith that's not tested, it's really, what's, it's faith is just a word that we're throwing around. But when that faith is tested, when no matter what happens in your life, you lose someone dear to you, you lose your job, you, you, you get sick or whatever, and you could say, you know what, God has been good to me even through these things. That's when your faith is tested. That's when your faith is real, and it's not just words anymore. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus says this, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Well, I'll tell you what, the, the, the first demonstration of that is found in, in Genesis chapter 22. Get to my third point here, the submission. I'll just read this passage. It's, uh, it, it's just uh, seven verses. Uh, verse three. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abram raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abram, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey while, and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand, in his hand the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. He said, my father. And he said, here I, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb 
for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Oh, we'll stop right there. <laughs> right, at the, right at the pinnacle of the story. You see, Abraham's, his, his, we have no idea what his emotions are. Seems pretty flat as he's going along. It's not the focus of, this, of the account here. It's not what we're supposed to know. We're not supposed to know what went on in, in Abraham's guts while, while this is going on. I'm sure it was sleepless. I'm sure it was difficult. I can't imagine the three days of going along and chopping and splitting wood and putting more sticks on, on Isaac's back as you're going up, knowing that he's carrying the wood that I'm going to burn my son on. I mean, that, that would be unbelievable. He was, I'm sure he was grieved. He was bewildered. But that's not the focus of this, this account. You see, as he's wrestling with this command, Abraham came to the conclusion that this is going to be okay. Why? Based on the character of the God he knows. Knowing God. He knows God. He knows what he's like. He knows that he's never let him down. He knows that he is faithful. He knows that he's always provided. He knows that he's always looked after him. So when you sit down and you think, okay, I'm going to get my list out, my pros and cons list, and I'm going to say, okay, God, is he fickle? God, is he faithful? And you don't put any tick marks under he is fickle, and you put all kinds of tick marks under he is faithful, you look at it and say, okay, I trust God. And that's where Abraham was at this point. I'm going to trust him. He says to the guys who were waiting that have traveled with them, that back then you traveled with a whole bunch of dudes with donkeys and stuff, he turns to them and says, oh, we're going up to the top of the hill. You guys just wait here. We'll be back. We will be back. Interesting. He knows what's ahead. He knows what he's been asked to do. But he says, we will be back. In, there's a verse here. It says in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, I think I put it, yeah, I put it at the bottom here. By faith, Abraham, uh, this is eleven seventeen to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and uh, he who received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. The word for concluding is a Greek word here, I think I put it up there, logazami or something like that. And it means logically calculate, to logically calculate. He did the math on this. God is faithful. When I do the math on it, and math is one of those things, it has laws. Math just always works. One plus one will always be two. It'll never be anything else. Five factorial will always be, which will be, 120. Six factorial will always be 720. Okay, so that's just, those are laws. Those are mathematical laws. So Abraham, it says he concluded, he calculated logically. Okay, God is this, God is this, God is this, God does that, God does this. Therefore, the outcome will be this. God is not going to allow my son to just be killed and that's the end of the story. He, he, he lied to me. 
He knew God never lied before. God has never let me down before. So based on that calculation, therefore, I will just trust him and do what he's asked me to do. I will carry this out. So what do you do when you find a situation that you're in and you think, this does not make any logical sense at all to me? Well, if it's not logical, then you get theological. And you start thinking and calculating, what's God like? What's God done in my life? Has he always, has he hurt me before? No. Has he let me down before? No. Has he ever demonstrated that he hates me before? No. Okay, so why would he hate me now? I guess he doesn't. Why would he let me down now? I guess you can't, because he's not before. Why would God lie? Because God can't lie. That's what it says theologically. He does not lie. He cannot lie. So that's what you do. You, you, you look at God. You do the math on it. And then you trust him, no matter what. No matter, no matter how dark it might seem. And here's a story. There's a, a man who had the old grocery stores. I remember these old grocery stores growing up in Cape Breton. One was David's Markets, and then there was Tops. There was some of these other ones. And when you went in the store, there was the, the store. And that's where you bought your stuff. But there was always this place where there was a hole in the floor. And down underneath there, there was a ladder, but you could not see anything. You went over and you looked at it and you think, what is down that black hole? That's where the inventory is. They kept the stock in the basement. They didn't have big back warehouses because the stores weren't big. So here's this man. He's got this, you know, David Mendelssohn. He's got a store. And he's got, he's got this hole in the floor. And he's got his young son, young Mark, walking around. And he's in the store. He's just a young kid, but he's always in the store. And dad's climbed down the ladder. And he's gone down to get some, some carnation milk to take it upstairs for, to put it on the shelf. And the son is over, and he looks down, he can't see anything. And the father's down there, and he looks up, and he says, Mark, it's your dad. Hi, dad. Jump, I'll catch you. Huh? Jump, I'll catch you, but I can't see you. But I'm here. I will catch you. No matter what, I will catch you. Okay. And little Mark jumps down, and dad grabs him and catches him. Sometimes life is like that for us. God is saying, do it. Jump. Take the chance. I will catch you. I will not let you fall. I'm so thankful that when you do the math on God, he always comes up faithful. The result is always the same. It can't be changed. It's immutable. Just like one plus one is two. God is faithful. God equals faithful. God equals for you if you're a Christian. The other thing it says here that they turn their time into a worship time. Can you take your worst times and turn them into a worship time? Can you take the trials in your life and turn them into a time of of giving glory to God? I remember, I keep referencing this, hopefully I'm, I'm out of this thing soon, but when I first lost my, my employment, a brother sent me this little song. He said, here, play this over. Well, of course, then, you know, thanks. I'm glad I listened to it alone because I'm going to cry my face off. Called Do It Again. We have to learn that and sing that here. And I'm listening to this over and over and over again. And what does it tell me? Every time I listen to it, God is faithful. What he has always done for me, he will do again. It's the song of Abraham at this point in time. And you see, here's the thing. What we need to do when we're going through pain, when we're going through trials, when we're going through trouble, is worship God. 
for who he is. Look to God. Look to him as the one who's going to help us. You see, one person said, you need to glance at your trial and gaze at God. Glance at the trial, gaze at God. Here's a couple of people who got it wrong and a couple of people who got it right. Peter, hey, Pete, you want to walk on water? Come on, walk, okay. Hey, Lord, how are... (laughs) What did he do? He sank. He went under the water. Asaph. Now, it turned out fine for him because he said, save me, Lord. He looked at the Lord and the Lord pulled him out of the water. Asaph. Asaph is one of the, uh, he was the choir leader actually in the, in the Old Testament uh, temple. And he's written a number of the Psalms. My favorite one that he's written is Psalm 73. So as Peter looked on the waves and got distracted, another W, Asaph looked at the wealth and got distracted. He looked at the wealthy. He looked at people who had lots and they had no troubles in their life, but they did not want anything to do with God. God, I got my money. I'm good, I'm self-sufficient. And Asaph's looking at that and says, this doesn't seem fair. I don't have any money. And they have no troubles. And I got all these troubles. I got all these people that can't sing coming wanting to sing in my choir. Oh, you know, so this is what's going on with Asaph. And you know what? He wakes up and he looks. It says, when I entered into the sanctuary of the Lord, when I came into the presence of the Lord, when I looked to the Lord, those trials went away. Because I realized that they're in a slippery spot and I'm not. It says, as for me, Closeness to God is good. Job. Job loses everything. Family, farm, animals, tractors, everything. Gone. And what does he say? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He did not focus on his trials. He focused on the Lord God. And God lifted him up out of that. Joseph, I already gave that example. I don't have to go into that. Joseph could have Seriously, like if anybody could go into the mental hospital, if anybody could be declared like, okay, yeah, you know what? You got a lot of bad things in your life, dude. It would be Joseph, of all people. Your brother sold you? You're a slave? You're in a land where the, you, like they speak a different language? And you're in, what? Accused of rape? In jail? In prison? Like you're a victim, man. You know what he says? No. The Lord meant it for good. God meant it for good. He had the right focus. He didn't look on his problems. He looked at the Lord. In your worst of times, make those worship times. Good news is I'm on my last page. So the fourth and final point is the anticipation. So read with me, please. Genesis chapter 22, verse 11 to 14. So Abraham, where we left him, knife, Isaac, on the wood, tied up on the altar, wondering, what did I do to deserve this? And Abraham is there, that's where we left him, and it says in verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. A couple of really interesting things here. And this just hit me this morning as we're sitting and breaking a bread and I had to scribble it into my notes. Verse 12, you have not withheld your son. 
as I sat here and we, we thought about the Lord Jesus giving his blood, willingly giving himself as the good shepherd and dying for us, God did not withhold his own son. Your only son, no sin to hide, but you have sent him from your side. God did not hold back his son from us. Romans 8, chapter 32, we read that earlier. So the name of the place he's given it is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And then it says the name became a saying of expectation and anticipation. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. I'll talk about that in a second, but that's really, really cool. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. What happened with Abraham and Isaac was a picture of something to come, an anticipation, a look forward of something greater that was going to come. If we just consider this to be a trial of Abraham, and that's it, we're just reading and thinking, oh, nice story, good ending. We've missed the whole point. Like I said at the very beginning, this is a picture. This is a picture of something even greater that's going to come. It's a prophetic experience. It's a, it's a picture looking forward. It's looking to another event, a greater event. There's some really interesting similarities between Isaac and the Lord Jesus. First, they were both born miraculously. I don't know anybody who's got a 100-year-old father and an 80-year-old, 80, was she 80 or 90? 90, I believe. Yeah, 90-year-old mother. I don't know any, I mean, I know somebody who had a really old mother, but she wasn't 90 when she gave birth. Jesus was born of a virgin. I'm pretty sure I don't know anybody who can claim that. Very miraculous in their birth. Both of them were promised before they were even thought of, before they were conceived. Jesus was, was spoken of all through the Old Testament. Jesus was told to Mary, you're going to be having a child. And here's who it's going to be. You shall name his, call his name Jesus, where you'll save, save his people from their sins. Abraham and Sarah were told, you're going to have a son. Really? And they laughed. That's why his name is kind of laughter. But, but, you know, that's the truth. They were told ahead of time. They were both named by God before they were born. Their names were given by God before they were born. Isaac carried the wood on his back for his sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross on his back for his sacrifice for you. It's very interesting, some of the things that are similarities. There's another thing that's here. In verse um, verse 2 of the whole passage take your son Isaac who you love did you know that's the first mention of the word love in the Bible the first time love is mentioned in the Bible speaks of the love of a father to a son isn't that great the first mention of love in the Bible is the love of a father for his son both cases our Heavenly Father and this Father were willing and gave their Son as a sacrifice. Now here's where it gets really great. The last verse says, Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day, and I believe to this day, in the Mount of the Lord it will be provided. Did you know what Mount, where Mount Moriah is? Mount Moriah near Jerusalem is also known by a different name, Golgotha. It's believed that it's in the same place where Christ 
died for you and for me was on this very spot where Abraham was willing to give and sacrifice his son. You see, what happened as we read on is that Abraham turned, along, turned around. It says in verse 13, it says, Abraham raised his eyes and looked up and behold a ram caught in the thicket. So here is, here's my whole point. A lamb now is provided as a substitute, as a provided lamb for Isaac, as a provided lamb for Abraham. He now does not have to slay his son. His son no longer has to die because there is a lamb to die in his place. God provided this ram caught in the thicket. It's, it's, it's a wonderful provision. But here's the thing. There was no substitute for Jesus. He died. That son died, died for you and died for me. The Father God fully experienced what Abraham only contemplated. Abraham thought in his mind, what's it going to be like when I kill my son? What's it going to be like when I sacrifice my son? What's it going to be like to lay my son out there and, and raise the knife and, and slay him and, and, and have him completely dead? It's only happened in his mind. It didn't fully happen for Abraham. But it fully happened for God, for you and for me. His son died. His son was put on a cross of wood. All of his wrath came down upon him. And he endured hell for you and for me so that we could be freed from our sins. I can't imagine what it must have been like when heaven looked down and saw Abraham lift that knife over his son. They must have been, oh, wow. And then they see the, the love and the mercy of God who stops it. But when Jesus went to that cross and fully died for us in our place, the provided lamb for you and for me. Heaven must have been amazed at the love of God for you. Amazed at the love of God for me in the giving of his son. You see, this line of the lamb throughout the Bible is our lifeline. The lamb was provided for Isaac the lamb has been provided for you. Have you accepted that sacrifice? Let's pray. Father, thank you. As we read of your provision of a lamb, we come here as your children who have been redeemed, who have been bought, who have been purchased because a lamb was provided in our place. Just as Isaac was lying there, death was sure. His doom was sealed. But you provided a lamb as a substitute. For us, hell was our portion. Punishment for our sins was to be ours. But you provided the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. You provided your own son to die for us. We thank you. We thank you for that love. That love that we read of through the whole scriptures that points us to the Lamb of God. Thank you for him, his precious name, amen.